Welcome to BNB Books and Banter, a podcast where we are currently reading through Brendan Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. This is Linda. And I'm Sarah. We're currently reading the first book, The Way of Kings. Today we are discussing chapters one and two. So this is going to be fun. So we're finally going to move on to the first chapter of part one. Part one, right? Above Silence. Um, I think it's very interesting that he actually shows who, which characters are we are going to be visiting at the very, like at each part, like it's in like every couple of chapters they actually state, oh, you're going, we're going to be looking at this character, this character, and this character only. So for the very, very first part, we have. Kaladin and Shalan? Shalan? Yeah, you're right. I'm gonna call her Shalan. Do we have a pronunciation guide in here? Um. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Kaladin is right. I'm pretty sure you're right about that. Shalan is harder. I think that really just Is it Shalan or Shalan? Yeah, I think, it, it's, I think it depends on what part of the world you're from. On how you actually pronounce that. Do we agree to just call her Shallon? Shallon? I like Shallon. Shallon. Okay. I'm okay with that. I just don't... I, I want to read it the way he intends it to be read, which, I mean, I'm looking for pronunciation because sometimes they add that, but I'm not seeing it I didn't here. see any in the book. You didn't either, huh? Well, you know what? Now if we terribly butcher things I don't feel bad because there's no pronunciation guide okay so on reddit careful reddit could be spoilers <laughs> no I literally just googled how to pronounce Shallon okay so <laughs> how do you pronounce Shallon if I remember correctly in the audiobook it's pronounced as Shallon but I totally disagree because Shallon sounds much so much better to me so you can make the executive call on this one and I will yeah. do what you do Monkey see, monkey do. That's me. Monkey number two. <laughs> I see a lot of people saying Shallon. <laughs> so. Shallon. I prefer Shallon. Okay. Um, I might slip up a couple of times, but I will get it. <laughs> yeah. I think Shallon. It just sounds. I don't know. It, it just doesn't sound right to me. All right. Shallon, she is. Chapter one, which is Stormblast, is actually about Kaladin. <laughs> so, all of that discussion was for nothing. So, we start, we do another time jump again from the prologue, which is, we're five years again into the future. So, five years after the murder of Gavilar, right. we are introduced to Kaladin. Well, we're actually introduced to a character called Ken. Sen. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what his name is pronounced like because, um, spoiler, he, he does not make it to the end of the chapter. <laughs> Alright. So. Wait, before we get too far, can mm. we just talk about the chapter name? Again, Storm Blast. Yeah. Like, does that mean, like, clearly means blessed by the storm. Does that also mean, like, beloved of the gods, or if, are there gods? Yeah, it, the, the name seems to carry a bit of weight, I would say. 
because we don't, we've, so far we haven't actually experienced a storm in the book. We don't know what an actual storm entails. Yep, that's correct. Using something like Stormblast is like, is it, is it something almost holy? Right. Blessed by the storms, but are the storms a good thing or a bad thing? But also, right here, we're introduced to Sen, who's experiencing battle for the first time, right? Yeah, and he's very young. He's only about 15. Right, and he is in Kaladin's unit. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he is literally told he will be fine because he is in Kaladin's Stormblast's squad. So Stormblast refers to Kaladin. Yes, they've given him this title. Because to, to these soldiers who are superstitious lot, being with him, they... they believe that they're gonna survive and that they're gonna win all under the leadership of Kaladin mm. and Dalit who is much older does it not say how old Dalit is I don't believe so just as the veteran mm. but we don't know how old people get in this book so that could be any age so for someone like Dalit to consider Kaladin to be a really great leader of the squad and uh, like the the person you want to lead you to battle speaks a lot about how they see Kaladin and as we discover Kaladin is actually only about 19 yeah he's only so four he's years talented. older yeah he is extremely talented and he has a very well organized unit right for someone who's only 19 like how long would he have been on the battlefield? I mean, if Sen is fifteen, Kaladin could have started at the age of fourteen or fifteen, so he's only he's five years on the field at most. At most, and the entire chapter just details how much better organized and better equipped his unit is to fight than all of the other units right. in the army. Right. So it's kind of interesting because here we are in the first chapter, we're tossed right into literally action. We're, we're in the skirmish and we have these soldiers that look up to Kaladin as the leader of their squad. And then we're literally moving along from Sen's perspective of how this fight is progressing. And I'm for it. Like, I really like how down to earth it is. It's like, did you piss before we formed ranks? Dalit asked, right? It's little things like that. It's like, you don't think about it, but there's these little extra details in there that makes it feel like, oh yes, we are very much, you know, Sen's perspective. And he's like, I never thought about that. And honestly, like most stories don't talk about that. Yeah, it's a very practical write-up. Right. And like, here's an example of, you know, Kaladin doing his job it's like if you thought about it you're like oh that makes sense right so when the skirmish starts they're like make a run for that you know whatever dip location that they found like break for it and then Dalit explains why they do that after stuff has happened it's like they want the arrows to hit where the men are most crowded the large man replied where they have the greatest chance of finding a body and because they raced ahead they're not going to be the targets of the oncoming rain of arrows so they survived that first portion already right and then something else you know as the fight goes on Kaladin leaves his position and he's like banging his spear on his shield as a way to generate a signal because he understands over the noise of battle that orders might not be heard so he has this pre-arranged signal that everybody can hear it's a specific sound and it's loud enough that you know everybody knows what to do which is kind of crazy. This is how well trained he has them, that he knows if he hits the shield a certain way or a certain number of times, 
his unit will respond the way he wants. I also, your point about following Sen through the battle, I think that is a really genius move because you're literally being introduced to war through the eyes of someone who's never seen war before, which is the majority of us have never seen war before. So mm -hmm. it's a very natural way of looking at war instead of looking at it through someone who is very seasoned say from Kaladin's perspective instead you're you're following Sen who understands nothing so everything has to sort of be explained mm. and in that way you're explaining to the actual reader this is what we're doing and this is why yeah well also to that point it also speaks to Kaladin's leadership right he doesn't have to explain to his unit why they're doing what they're doing but he does so that they understand and they realize it's you know for everybody's benefit if everybody does this you know the chances of you, your survival is that much higher and he clearly just is a great leader for that yeah yeah and i agree and as well as that he bribes the medical team or the rescue people mm -hmm. what are they called let me find it the runners the runners yes the runners he bribes the runners to make sure that they bring his men off the field so that they can be treated right. the reason he has to bribe the runners is because he is dark-eyed or his squad is dark-eyed his, his, no he is dark-eyed and his squad is made up of a bunch of people who are not light-eyed <laughs> right so you have young and old and you have non-alephi on this squad because Sen actually identifies a couple of other people mm -hmm. who I think he questions why are they here why are they fighting here yeah well I was just gonna speak to like kind of like I guess the hierarchy of the Lethe social class right you already have a big distinction you're either light-eyed or you're dark-eyed and it's instantly like if you are light-eyed then you're probably in a position of power or authority and if you're dark-eyed like you are just you know the lower class and you don't you're not afforded the same measure of respect right so that's why kaladin has to bribe these runners because if he didn't then these runners are only looking for light-eyed like soldiers and participants i guess and yeah and kaladin understands this very well and he un also understands that money talks right so he is not adverse to using that in order to protect his men and that's the other thing right he chose sen to be a part of his men he mentioned to Dalit that he paid for Sen to be transferred to his group. And, you know, he and Sen properly questions, it's like, why me? And all we're told is, like, this is just what he does. This is what Kaladin does. Every so often he, you know, adopts, basically, he adopts some people into his squad. He's looking out for a certain type of people or a certain type of person. Yeah. And I think it speaks a lot about his character that he chooses to try to protect people he sees as more vulnerable so here we here so we have kaladin who's you know got tactics he's got strategy he's under he's literally looking out for the welfare of his squad to do the best possible thing because he goes above and beyond by bribing these runners to guarantee um that his team gets proper treatment and they love him for it like his squad loves him and they know about him. They know he's a, a weird one because not only is he so good, like on the battlefield, like he's quick on his feet. He 
knows how to adjust. He knows how to read the flow of battle because he's like, because he predicts like certain maneuvers and he has his squad move along with that. But his squad also knows that, you know, he seems to have some type of medical training. And because Sen was like, he bound my leg and he doesn't know why it's important, but just that it happened and it was a simple thing, but it's, you know, it's something that stuck with him. And then Dalit was like, yeah, we know that. He he does that. He knows a lot about wounds. And it's like, where does he acquire this knowledge? You know, it sounds to me like he's fairly new to war, even though we're saying, like, maybe he has started war young. But where did he get the medical knowledge from? Because that's right. not a that's not something that's taught in a training camp for soldiers specifically. They right. they will train their medics for that, but they don't put their medics out on the battlefield. Yeah, and then that's what the runners are for. The runners are there to take all the injured back so the medics can treat them. There's exactly. a separation. So, where has this training come from? Exactly, and then like Dalit's other point is like, oh, he can read glyphs too. He's a strange man for a lowly dark-eyed spearman. Our squad leader is, so he's he's got some story to him or Kaladin. Yeah, yeah, and apparently reading glyphs is unusual for a lowly dark-eyed. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so literacy he has some literacy but that is unusual and one other point about this first chapter because there's a lot in this first chapter five years after the death of Galavar and there are skirmishes between the bright lords who as far as I can tell sit under the high princes so you're in a, you're still in a leafy but or a left car Sorry, you're in a left car. They're Alethi people. But the Alethi are now fighting each other over internal boundaries. Whereas, and all that Kaladin wants to do is get to the big battle with the Parshendi. Right. So the new king of a left car has not had a great first five years if he is still at war with the Parshendi. And his own realm has has descended into skirmishes and battles among themselves that right. does not make for a stable kingdom exactly so here we are slowly falling to bits and pieces right and it kind of makes you wonder like was this what Seth's master had wanted this discord this eventual cor- like corrosion of alethes i wouldn't even I, I wouldn't even say peace but like just their resources and strength, right? Because now it's an additional five years of war. And now you have, you know, internal strife, which is further sapping away at this country's resources. Like, there's less and less men available. Yeah, and they are more and more vulnerable then to outside attack from elsewhere. Exactly. So you wonder, like, are they weakening, you know, Alethkar to be right for the picking? I, I would go with yes. Maybe. Maybe. We we, we will see. Yeah, and then world building. Again, like, we have these... Not again, but, like, we have... What is this? Pain spren? These sprens that show up, which is kind of crazy. They show up due to emotion or feeling. They show up because someone is in pain. Yeah, I'm trying to find that description of the because I read it I'm like okay these sound really creepy like I don't ever want to get hurt and like see this right next to me Mm. oh here it is Sen glanced at his leg 
Pain sprint, like small orange hands with overly long fingers, were crawling around him, reacting to his agony. Ugh. It sounds so gross. Yeah. Could you imagine like little orange hands just like grabbing at you? Yeah. And then here, right, this battle is going well, and we see Kaladin make this call about pincering a light-eyed commander, right? And Sen realizes that they're fighting somebody who is in or who has a shard blade. Yeah, it seems like it's just a shard blade. I don't see any like description on the armor itself, so it's it's not a shard plate. But he has one of those magical or magically enhanced equipment that could turn the field of battle. Yeah, it's definitely not shard plate because Dalit confirms it's just a light-eyed officer. Shard bearers are too valuable to waste on a minor border dispute. But it, but I think it, that's that's what you would have thought, right, at the start when they're saying, oh, well, there's no gonna, there's not going to be any shard bearers. But one does show up. Yeah, and um, why is he there at a minor border dispute? Mm-hmm. And does Kaladin's attack work? Well, and also, how do you fight against that? We, we have regular people. Granted that the shard bearer doesn't have any ability to manipulate Stormlight, but we still have the sword that, you know, we see the full power of when Zeth uses it. Like, he can cut through stone like nobody's business. Weapons clearly aren't going to, like, what, a spare's haft is not going to stop the sword from completing yeah. its, you know, thrust or cut. So you can't defend against that. And then if you get touched by it, if it cuts as if it were cutting off your arm, like you lose all feeling in whatever part that's shorn off, but still is attached to your body. This is a horrifying weapon. It really is. It's like one touch from this and you could just lose your limb's usefulness forever. Yeah. Or I mean, it could just actually kill you and your eyes just shrink into themselves and broken and horrible like there's no there's no blood from this weapon it doesn't cut the way a normal weapon does it literally just cuts your soul right that's what the description was in the prologue isn't that crazy Mm. and here we have Kaladin who's like hey hey time to attack (laughs) yeah exactly this will get us over to the big boys like we're gonna go hang out over there where everybody else is it's my ticket in. That's what he's seeing this shard bear being. So he's a brave one. <laughs> he's a brave, uh, brave. Yeah, we can go with brave, <laughs> foolish. <laughs> I mean, they both work. Yes. A lot happens in this chapter, considering it is just a battle. Yeah, because if we talk about the next chapter, Arner is dead. It literally starts off eight months later. Yeah, <laughs> another time skip. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's just like. What? So we're now nearly six years after the death of Captain Gallagher. It's literally, like, literally in the first paragraph, you're like, what is Kaladin doing in a cage wagon? Like, what? <laughs> and then you realize that he's basically a slave. And he's, yeah, he's a slave. He went from being this well-beloved, you know, squad leader to being a slave. He's literally fallen as far as he can go while still being alive. Yes, right? Why did he fall? Like, what what happened after Sen died? Right. 
And also, like, now we switch specifically into Kaladin's point, right? Mm. So before, like we were saying, we, the fact that we got everything from Sen's perspective was pretty awesome. Like, we see him how other people are seeing him. And now we are in Kaladin's mind to see how he sees himself, which is always, you know, a nice contrast. Yeah, and it is very interesting seeing how Kaladin sees himself because he's not very nice to himself. No. He really isn't. But he is at a very, very low point in his life. Yeah, so here he is riding in the slave cart and... In the Unclaimed Hills, which are to the east of Alethkar, but they are above the Shattered Plains where the Parshendi battle is happening. Just for context. You can continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, so we know he's... he's he ha- there's a destination in mind, but he's so apathetic to all the things that are happening. Like, even just the way he sees the world around him. Like, covered in tall, monotonously green grass. The hills seem endless, right? To him, it's just like, oh, it's just more grass. Versus somebody who, like, you know, us seeing this world through his eyes we'd be like oh what is this like where are we like we'd be a lot more interested in our surroundings but he's just like eh more grass rolling along i'm gonna see this tomorrow (laughs) you know yeah he literally cannot see anything of interest outside so it makes you wonder what's happened to him to make him a little okay maybe not a little but kind of broken broken he's broken a little I'd say he's almost very broken, and he's in a he's in a wagon with ten other men, and apparently he has a bit of a, of a reputation in his own wagon already. Right. <laughs> because one of the slaves is very timid to talk to him, while the others will just completely ignore him. Mm-hmm. And we discover that is because he has been branded as dangerous. Yes, carved onto his forehead, three brands. And of the three, like the first two brands make a glyph pair, which was given to him on his last day in Amaram's army. So whatever the fate that caused him to be tossed in here happened while he was in the army. And that's, you know, done. That's his last day because he's now a slave. And then here's this third brand that was just put in. Yes, which is dangerous. So he is, he's also branded for life. These are not temporary things that are attached to him he has literally been branded i'm assuming with a hot iron yeah for everybody to see it's on his face yeah it's on his forehead 10 escape attempts in eight months (laughs) and now we know why he's branded as dangerous because even though kaladin believes himself to be very very broken and Mm -hmm. unworthy of doing anything he has tried to escape 10 times which suggests a spirit in him that cannot be broken or removed (laughs) there is a little bit of in him that will always try to do good and seek freedom Mm -hmm. to get out of the terrible position he is in yeah so which is interesting to see where he's at right now after all these attempts you know it seems like he's kind of given up hope and you know he has this dried plant that is poisonous and he thinks about how to use it like i don't think he knows how he was going to use it not that and then and it ends up being that 
he didn't get a choice because he crushes it and then it all you know gets taken away by the wind but you know again like we're saying with the medical training he knows enough to know what's poisonous and what's not mm. and I think most interestingly is this plant is poisonous but he spends most of his time contemplating how he could use it against his captors right he doesn't say it and I don't think he's really formulated in his brain like what are you gonna do if you poison your captor that, is that not an escape attempt like mm. what else do you have going for you sir I mean he's given food um, water every evening he's not so broken that he is contemplating taking it himself right right so there's still some flicker of spirit in him mm. there's still fight left exactly and he does but he's not acknowledging that he thinks he is at the very very bottom of the barrel he thinks that everything he does is bad for everyone around him he goes on about right. the fact that the men used to call him storm blessed and he thinks that's lies, he's only ever been bad luck. And he thinks about all the other slaves in the previous wagons that he was in. So this isn't his first, this, this current captor is not his first master. Mm -hmm. He has been transferred to others, and he doesn't know what's happened to the slaves before that he's tried to escape with. Five other masters, and he thinks about all the people he can't protect. And you know what? We, we were talking about, you know, social hierarchy. Was he ever really in a position to protect those people that he wanted to protect, right? How much power does he really have as a dark eye, a lowly dark eyed soldier? Even now, even in these wagons with these slaves, he tries to help another slave out when um, his captor is looking at this guy who's coughing terribly and Kaladin tells him how he can heal him, even though he promised himself he would ignore it and he wouldn't respond. and he has no business interfering he still feels the need to try to protect even though he has absolutely no power to protect in this case and the captor kills the poor guy right well even before that like we're talking about Kaladin's mindset right and he says we're saying he's kind of got a little flicker of spirit in him but the biggest thing is he's stuck on honor men who had no honor were the men were there men who had? And then he says, no, Kaladin thought. Honor died eight months ago. And eight months ago was when he became a slave. And transitioning onto that, when the other guy, the other slave, asked him for his story, he says that killing the light eyes isn't why I was made a slave, Kaladin said. It was the one I didn't kill. That's the problem. Mm, so is he talking about a... Uh, light-eyed enemy that he should have killed or was he betrayed or did he stumble into something nefarious because usually the unnamed companion aka his fellow slave says i'm surprised they let you live for killing a light eyes and kaladin's point is yeah i killed one but it sounds like there was one more he should have killed if he didn't want to be where he was so it sounds like he made a choice not to kill that second light eye and this is what he gets for having or what he's i guess to him killing that second light eye was not an honorable thing so he didn't do it yeah but it's what caused him to be branded a slave and and so that's the betrayal right the betrayal how he says honor is dead and this is what happened 
he felt, I guess he felt betrayed, like his world system, his naive belief about, you know, everybody around him is honorable, those above him are honorable, like he believes in this concept. He's like super noble in that sense. He has an honor code, he has a sense of moral code, and he just believes that everybody knows what's right and what's wrong, and he kind of expects people to follow that. Yeah, can I, I'm gonna edit this out. But I would like to point out that Kaladin is a textbook Gryffindor. I don't think you need to edit that out. I think we should keep it in. <laughs> I vote we keep it in. I mean, we were just talking about how he has courage, almost to the point where he's foolhardy. And yeah. He's brave. I, I mean, he's very brave. And like he's got this sense of righteousness. Again, like a strong moral code. He believes in honor. And basically, I feel part of his issue, why he's so jaded and so... I guess broken a little bit in spirit is because he so strongly believes in honor that when this must be another light eye because they have the power to make him a slave this light eye who i guess is his superior basically betrayed him and ordered him to betray his own honor and kaladin said no and here he is yeah and i think what is also fueling his feelings of despair about this whole situation mm. is the fact that there is now a windspren what he thinks is a windspren who starts talking to him and apparently this is very unusual behavior yes because this windspren knows his name right spren didn't use people's names spren weren't intelligent the larger ones like windspren or riverspren could mimic voices and expressions but they didn't actually think they didn't so he he's now talking to a spren who shouldn't have intelligence or um but is displaying intelligence right. so is he losing his mind right asking questions knowing his name it is he's knowing. not in a good place <laughs> <laughs> yeah it kind of you're like wait I, wait a minute are you just losing your mind here or because that's what he thinks right this is maybe i'm going mad i'm seeing things i'm hearing voices and luckily or unluckily like the spren can't interact with the world around like the physical world so he knows that that at least the windspread is real but no one else can hear this spread it's just him which is also interesting and right before he starts talking to the spread like we learn that he learns or learned how to treat burns and how to cure some of these like diseases we're talking about from his father Yes, so we find out where he gets his medical training from. The mm -hmm. fact that he can identify a disease from a cough as well speaks of someone who has been exposed to different diseases. Right, so all of those years of medical training, those are not quick things to learn. It just brings us to mind, you know, how, how much military experience does he have and how quickly he rose to become a squad leader. Because clearly he starts off with a medical background. He's being trained by his father. So So how long was he training in the medical field before he moved to being a soldier? And why did he want to be a soldier? I feel like no matter what society you're in, especially in the, the world we have here, where there's not hospitals everywhere, if you do anything, like somebody with medical training has some type of higher social standing. But it also speaks to his like military prowess because he's got he's risen in the ranks quickly. Because mm. we know he didn't spend 
his youth, like training up, studying military tax, he's learned it on his own. So we've come together or it's implied because it doesn't mention, he doesn't think about a mentor. It doesn't seem to answer to really anybody else. Like he seems like he's on his own. So all of these things are just his natural talents. So we have a very naturally gifted person here who chose to go into the army and turned his back on a perfectly respectable profession. Right. And is now a slave, but still has all of that knowledge. Right. And he wants to pretend like he doesn't have that knowledge, right? But when he's seeing this fellow slave cough, he knows exactly what's wrong. And he hears his father's voice, right? Saying, can you really leave him? We let him die when you ha- could have helped. And he finds that he can't. Like, he wants to help. Like, he has that, like, again, that strong, like, moral conscience. This is on him if he didn't do something to help this person who could, who could live. But unfortunately, the overseer doesn't believe him and doesn't really care. The mercenary just kills this slave. Yeah, he figures it is more beneficial to him to have one less slave than one sick slave. Right. Yeah, he's a very interesting character. Right, like he, he like, is one of those, um, he blames himself for this other guy's death now. Like he could have saved this one person and he didn't speak up and now he didn't. And then he realizes like he's crushed the poison leaf in his hand and he feels like he's failed again. And it just, to him, like every single time he tries to do something, he's failing. So he's in a very dark place if all he can see is failure. Right. There's a lot to unpick from a single chapter in his perspective. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it also probably doesn't help that we're at the beginning, where there's still like a lot of the world that is being unfolded. We're learning Kaladin's character. Um, We're getting some of his backstory. There's just a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's true. Or maybe we just talk too much. (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't agree with that. I think we talk the right amount. Uh-huh. And that's the end of our second episode ever. We hope you enjoyed it. The next episode covers chapter three. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this with your friends and follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at BNBanterPodcast to get episode updates. If you extra love us, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast to help spread the joy.